The Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. We're back, second hour, hour number two, Ajay Salvis and Eric Franson here on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, the Fan 501, your kickoff time, Wednesday, August 14th, halfway through the week, you're here with us, congratulations. Eric? Welcome to the Full Court Press. (laughs) Good morning, Cash Valley, and you cannot use that phrase anywhere else. You're trademark it. It's copyrighted. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. The Cash Valley. Oh, sorry. Cash Valley. It's just Cash Valley. Can't say the. Can't emphasize with the anything. Emphasize. Don't use that word to emphasize anything because Ohio State will come after you. Because <laughs> yeah, that's they, their plan. They that's their scheme. will sue you for every dollar you're not worth. <laughs> All right. In the first hour, we got. We, we <laughs> I'm did, not worth any dollars. We started. <laughs> you're special, Eric. Uh, we started off with uh, Utah State special teams talk. We're going to get that here in just a moment. Uh, we talked about Aaron Dalton. You heard from Aaron Dalton. By the way, if you missed our first hour, don't worry. We'll be posting it on shortly. Uh, you can find it on 1069thefan.com. You can find it on all podcast podcast platforms, including Spotify, including iTunes. You can look that up. Just type in the search name Full Court Press. Eric's name, my name, and you will be able to find that. Uh, we also got into a little bit of the Ohio State trademark talk. And the Las Vegas stadiums can be able to not only host the Las Vegas Raiders, but also the UNLV running Rebels with two different kinds of fields. Kind of interesting stuff. And Ian, you can hop onto our podcast to find that. And it's an, really, it really, it's a unique way to do it to manage the field so it doesn't get too wore out. Mm-hmm. So you can still have natural, but you can have another alternative. So you can host bowl games. You can hold high school playoffs. Obviously, UNLV will be there using it. Six, five, six times a year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then we also got into our movie quiz, which uh, Eric did guess right. Bull Durham, congratulations. It took you two quotes, but you finally took got me it. two quotes, and it was the it one was, that probably wouldn't have. I, I know, I know. So when I read that quote, movie. I was like, this isn't going to help you, but I'll read it anyways. All of a sudden, like, not even halfway through. Oh, yeah, go ahead and finish. <laughs> You're doing a good job. Cal. <laughs> All right, let's get back. Maybe in. it was your your attempt to try to sound like a woman. That <laughs> I have a great Susan Sarandon voice. Helped me figure out who it was. Just don't tell Susan Sarandon that. That would be offensive to her. Uh, and coming up this hour, again, we'll get into more Utah State special teams talk, like we said in just a moment, and also Team USA basketball getting ready for the FIBA World Cup. Specifically, they're getting ready for Spain on Friday in an exhibition. Things do not look good. We'll tell you why. All right, uh, but let's start off with Utah State football. Again, they're getting ready for your family football fun scrimmage, 5 o'clock Maverick Stadium Saturday night before the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Uh, They will travel to North Carolina to face those guys 6 o'clock Friday night, August 30th on the ACC Network. You can get your pregame and postgame. Nowhere else will you get the great coverage like here on our sister station on 610 KVNU, starring Al Lewis, starring Ryan Bohm. Make sure you turn into that. Uh, Eric, Dominic Geberle has set... Sorry, who did you call him? What did you call him? Dominic? No. That's what I thought you said. It's not Dominic Eberly. Stop it. It's Dominant no, Eberly. You know, and when you did that, he missed like three field goals, by the way. No, come on. That's that's what he is. 
He is dominant. He has been dominant, and he's been nearly perfect and, and record breaker. He's a guy who's going to enter Aggie football legend status, and he's a kicker. Why? Because he's shooting. I mean, he's kick, not shooting. He's kicking nearly over seventy. That's a high field goal percentage. Yeah, he's and we say high. He's perfect on PATs. Everybody knock on wood. One hundred and twenty-two of one hundred and twenty-two on PATs. That's second most time or second most all time in USU football record books. By the way, I don't even know who's number one. Do you know? I don't. I have to. Grab, I don't have media guide. In Who front of me. doesn't know that kickers? But you know, he had the game last year where he kicked five field goals yeah, against no New Mexico deal. State. Just set a couple of records. Yeah, he's just very, very solid. Uh, it's a weapon for Utah State to know that they have that option. He had what was it? Three in that game against New Mexico. Three that were fifty State. plus. Yeah, three fifty-one yard field goals. Three. He also had a forty-four and a twenty-three yard field goal. He set a. Uh, uh, a record in or tied an NCAA record or set the NCAA record as a kicker on points at 24. 24. Right. He was responsible for more points than the rest of the whole New Mexico State Aggies. It happens to the best of us, New Mexico State. Don't you dare worry. Uh, Dominic Eberly is now coming off a season, which we already said is historic. Eric, my question is, is can he continue it? Uh, issue for the Utah State Aggies in big games has been the special teams department where they haven't been able to come through. Are we certain now that Dominic Eberly can be that guy where, hey, we need a 33-yarder from the left hash from you in win or a driving rainstorm, need it here? Can you trust him, Eric? I think you can. I think he's had enough experience. Uh, he's had some personal uh, or maybe some letdowns where he missed a, a field goal that uh, would have been nice to have. Uh, but uh, he, there's no better, bigger critic of that field goal department than dominant Everly is. Uh, and so he, he wants to be better. He's feels like he's got something left to prove and uh, just a solid guy. Just one of those personalities that doesn't get too high. doesn't get too low. Just is always, Which you can't as a kicker, always even keel short term memory, right? Uh, granted, we've seen him. We saw him on the sidelines when, especially the New Mexico State game, when he was kicking the lights out, and his teammates were mauling him, and he was he was happy and having fun with that. But generally speaking, he's got a very even keel, very even approach when it comes to coming in and, and when it's a, a big moment on the line. I had a chance to talk to him about that and about how he's evolved as a player over time, being at Utah State, and how if if anything, if his if his routines have changed or how he approaches his time on the field has changed. Because he's been at Utah State now. This is what his, uh, this is his third, senior se- now. third year in an important role. And so it was an interesting conversation today with uh, Dominant Eberly. Focusing on the specialists today for Utah State and a chance to talk to Dominic Eberly. Place kicker, you've been here for a while. Uh, how are things so far, well, I guess for you, Several years into this now, what's different for you coming into this season compared to maybe where things were a year ago for you? Uh, I mean, the part of maturing is just knowing what you got to work on. And for me, it's always striving to be 100%. So not having that for the last three years is really something that keeps motivating me to become better, keeps wanting me to really improve on the small things. And overall, I feel like we have that as a group in the whole special teams unit from kickoff return, from punting, from uh, punt return, we really want to be excellent at each phase in that game. Do you feel like your 
technique has evolved or changed much, or are you just still honing in on some of the similar things that you've learned a, a while ago? Uh, I've definitely changed from when I first got here till now, but for the last two years, it's kind of just been minor things that I've been working on that really give me the best chance of making every single kick and just becoming more and more consistent. So whether it's my plant foot here and there or whether it's the way I come through the ball, just those minor things that I really try to work on with individual drills. How has your approach from the mental aspect of the game changed, or, or has it? Do you feel like you still go through some of the same routines mentally that get you where you need to be in that right mental space? Yeah, I mean, for me, kicking is a lot about rhythm. It's similar to a three-point shooter in basketball where as soon as you get in that rhythm, whether you have that mental state of I'm going to make every single kick I've just hit however many in a row the exact same way, that's when you feel the most comfortable. And the that kind of mentality is what I've taken to games where I just know how it feels and it allows me to immediately get into that rhythm. How involved is Stacy Collins with some of the things that you do? Uh, very evolved. I mean, we have a pretty set practice plan where it comes down to every five minutes we have a s- separate thing that we're working on, whether it's specialty kicks from kickoffs, whether it's going through steps, whether it's taking dry runs or just making uh, smaller adjustments on a technique. It's very planned out, and he does a great job with that. He's a high-energy guy. He's hard to keep up with, it seems like. Yeah, no, he always brings the juice, and I feel like that affects a lot of people that come into contact with him. And then uh, for the team, how do you feel things are going so far this year? You had the, uh, the the closed scrimmage on Saturday. You've got another one coming up. You're still a couple of weeks away from the opener. Do you feel like things are progressing nicely, or do you feel like you still have some things you got to get caught up on? Uh, as a team standpoint, I think there's always things that we want to improve on and want to get perfect at. But I really like the progress we've been taking offensively and defensively. I think we're going to have special players on both sides of the ball, and I'm really excited to see all of them. You play a special role with that, too. You can be a real weapon for this team. If they can't punch it into the end zone, they know they can rely on this really solid place kicker. Yes, sir. I mean, my goal is to always help the team, and the best way I can do that is just make every single kick. All right, Dominic Everly, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Great job. That's Dominic Everly, the 6'2 senior, 190-pounder from Nuremberg, Germany. Pretty sure I pronounced that wrong. Nuremberg. Nuremberg. He is, uh, for this year, Athlon Sports 4th Team All-American, Athlon Sports 2nd Team All-Mountain West, Phil Steel Team Magazine 2nd uh, Team All-Mountain West as well. He is, uh, this is nothing new for him, though. He's been on All-Mountain West honors both preseason and postseason. He's been a Luke, uh, Luke Groza Award finalist for two years in a row. Make it three years in a row now, most likely, depending on how he is consistent. Um, man, this kid is about as reliable of a kicker as we've had in years, Eric. Yes, in a long time. There have been times where Utah State was in positions to have great things happen and then kicker wasn't able to make it uh, you know, come through. Um, there's been some times where Utah State's been in some situations where had it not been for a, a kicker, they would not have been able to win games. And so I, I think this is the role that Dominic, Dominant Everly can play uh, if there are questions about how well the offense can move down the field, if they can get at least to the 35-yard line, then, okay, we'll roll out our kicker. That's okay. Yeah, uh, yeah we'd they, obviously love to have six rather than three, or seven rather than three, but 
uh, anytime to put points on the board is is a good thing. And here's a guy that uh, approaches the game. Um, he's serious about his role and what he can do and how he can help the team. And uh, I think he relishes in that in that moment and and how he can be a real key asset and a weapon for Utah State offensively. Last year, the junior was 22 of 28. Well, he was a junior last year, I should say. The senior was 22 of 28 from the field goal. Uh, top, I don't know, field goal percentage. He was 78%. He was 1 of 1 from 1 to 19 yards out. He was 8 of 10 from 20 to 29 yards out. 4 of 5 from 30 to 39 yards out. 6 of 7 from 40 to 49 yards out. 3 of 5 from 50 plus. And all three of those made field goals in one game. All from 51 yards. That's that's impressive stuff. In regards to his PAT, you already know the stats. 122 of 122, which is a tied, excuse me, second most in Aggie school history. That's second most made and attempted. So what's the what's the highest? I don't know. I gotta find that. I I haven't even looked in the record. I just part. wonder. How, I mean, is it gonna be broken this year? And if so, well, how well, early in the well, season? Well, and and let's not try to jinx them. I, I I'm kind of terrified of that. I'm not gonna lie to you. Uh, I will look that up in regards of what the record is on made PATs. Uh, again, uh, what's his name? Dominant Dominant Everly is 122 of 122. That's amazing. And by the way, uh, the was he the the year before? And this is just, I mean, this is, I'm, I'm saying this based on an improvement. He was 18 of 24 from field goals in his sophomore year, 2017, but he missed three in one game in the bowl game. Is that right? Was that because he had the flu? Yeah, he was sick he was in the bowl sick game. Sick as a dog. Nobody knew that until after the game, though. Yeah. And everybody was, was using him as some as some scapegoat for why they lost. Well, that that they're going to. He's the kicker. But uh, had he been healthy, no one Utah State would have won that game. Yeah, no one cares about the kicker until it's up to the kicker to win it, and then everyone's all up, you know up in arms and all upset and whatever. But you know, I I agree with you. I think when I look back to that Wisconsin game where we lost by a field goal, uh, I had talked to a couple players about that situation, and the, and and it still eats at their craw. Where, hey, we did everything we could offensively and defensively to put us in that position to win. And it came to our kicker who couldn't finish the gig. Like, that, that, there's people who are still bothered by that. And I think knowing that they have a reliable kicker like Dominant Everly will really, really bode well for them. He, Of course, he missed that one against Boise State. Uh, again, that was such a weird game. Uh, in fact, I think it was pretty short. He was, he was way short on it. Would have cut the deficit down to three, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember right. Uh, but for more or less, when it when you need a field goal, and like you said, if you get to the 32, 35 yard line, let him get out there, trot out there, and kick it for three. You'll take three points on the board better than zero. And with someone like that, with a foot like that, the accuracy, uh, that's you like your chances, Eric. You really do. Yeah, he. Uh, he continues to improve his uh, mental approach to the game. Uh, he continues to work on his personal techniques, and uh, it, it's it's good to have someone like that in your special teams, which is a one of the three three main parts of a football team. And uh, the the key components of that are are really good for USU. I think I found it here. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I think I might have found it. Let's see here. Uh, passing, passing, offense, field goals, extra points. You ready? <clears throat> I'm so ready. I've been ready for the last hour and 17 minutes. 
Shut up, Eric. <laughs> All right. So, extra points made. It says Dominic Everly, 122. It doesn't say. Oh, there it is. That won't be right. Nick Diaz was 40 of 40. But in a career, it says Dominic Everly, dude. Extra points attempted. Career-wise. Oh, there it is. Brad Bond. So he's tied for first. Mm. Brad Bond also made 122 of 122. Yeah, he was good. He was good. What year did he play? Uh, was he, he was like 90s, wasn't he? Yeah, because going back a little bit more. But Dominic, he, Dominic Everly is, is going to break that record. He's going to go down as the all-time Watching best. this, the first PAT of the season. <laughs> and we're going to look back and be like, you know what? Let's go back to his very – I should save this audio right now. <laughs> Roll back we'll the go tape back from August 14th. all your fault. When we jinxed him. <laughs> hey, one guy we can't jinx and seems to be on a roll is Savon Scarver. What a special, special football player he has come to be. He had three kickoff – he had two kickoff return for TDs last year. That was second most in the country. He's, uh, he's shifty, he, and he's fast. He doesn't take a lot of time to decide what he wants to do. And usually his instincts lead him in the right direction. Um, but besides returns, I got a chance to talk to him also about his role as a wide receiver because he thinks that people overlook that aspect of him, that he can be a, a good wide receiver. Standing next to him, talking to him, you, I didn't realize how long his arms are. Uh and not like they're like abnormal. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's he's some weird freak of nature. But his stature is not like the the tallest guy. But he does have uh, these arms that can bring in and secure a ball uh, a little bit better. And he's a uh, he's aggressive. He's fast, man. He's fast. And that's going to be a real weapon for USU, both as a return specialist and as a wide receiver. Here's Savon Scarver with Eric Franson here on the Full Court Press, one hundred six nine FM. Save on Scarver, you keep getting on more and more watch lists and more people paying attention to what you do. How do you how do you internalize that? Or do you does that even do you even pay attention to any of that? Uh well, it's a good feeling, you know, cuz I feel like I'm getting credit for the work that's being done, but uh honestly, it just feels me to be better, you know, make me go harder every day at practice. So that's pretty much it. It just makes me go harder. I mean, a lot of that seems like it's based on what you did last year, but with some anticipation of what you can do this year, do you feel like you are in line to make all those people right to put you on those lists? Or do you, do you feel like you have something to prove? I definitely feel like I have something to prove because, you know, everybody's saying I'm not a receiver and stuff. Even though I really listen to the talk, you know, I'm just coming out here and play my game and prove everybody wrong and show them that I am a true receiver. And that's, this is what I love to do. So, you know, I'm just ready to go. I was going to ask you about that. A lot of the tensions about what you've done on returns, mm-hmm. but you can have a special role, an important role, with the wide receiver group this year for USU. How do you feel about that group of wide receivers and how you fit in with them? Oh, yeah, I definitely uh, love our receiver group. Uh, and we have a good person named Jordan Love leading us, you know. So uh, so us, our receivers, we just are working hard, just trying to uh, – keep the production up this year that's the thing is keep the production up so you know uh, we just been catching balls after practice eyes to the tuck just doing everything right doing all the fundamentals so it'll be good this year when it comes to the return game uh your technique and what you see coming at you what's going on around you 
where where's your focus at in those moments? Okay, first thing first for the return, I always uh, make sure I secure the ball first. And then after I secure the ball, I honestly don't think about nothing. I just read the blocks after that because you never know what's going to happen in return. You know, you got fly, guys flying at you all over the place, so you get low-key, just got to make a play and just go run with it. How important do you think that role is with the team? Uh, the defense was able to do something to get a stop. You have a chance to make a play to help the offense get set up in a better position. I mean, how, how do you feel like that role is for you and, um, and how you kind of fit into that? Oh, yeah, it's, the role for that is definitely it's, – it's a big role in the team because, you know, special teams is a big part of football, you know. Uh, any any play, any big play on special teams could turn a game around in a click of a second. So uh, I think it's really important for uh, me to take everything serious uh, when I'm back there returning. You uh, got a roster – or a jersey number change. Uh, what, tell me about that and why you ended up with the number you have. Okay, so my freshman year – uh, I had they gave me 81. I really wanted number 11, but uh, at the time we had Damian Hobbs. Uh, he was in number 11 my freshman year, and then so my sophomore year, which was last year, we had a good player, Aaron Vons, in it. And I had to wait for two seniors. So uh, once once I got the chance to get my favorite numbers, uh, number 11 is my high school number. So once I got the chance to get it, uh, took that chance and just got it. <laughs> I needed that. You're waiting in line long enough. Oh yeah, definitely long enough. <laughs> Uh, then on special teams, uh, Stacy Collins, uh, he's a high-energy guy. What's it like having him work with that group? Oh, he's a hell of a coach. He, he knows everything there is to know about any special teams phase. And, you know, I, I really look up to him, and I listen to him when we're in the meetings, you know, because he's, he's giving us knowledge, so we take that on the field and apply it and execute it to the best of our ability, you know. So uh, uh, I really trust him what he has with our special teams game. And I feel like he'll lead us to a Mountain West Championship with his games. Uh, well, we look forward to seeing what you guys can do. Uh, still a lot more practices to go for the home opener, but uh, thanks for spending some time. I appreciate you. What a well-thought-out, well-spoken man right there. Savon Scarver, the kick return, punt return specialist, turned wide receiver for the Utah State Aggies. There's a lot of expectation on him and what he can do in the special team's regard. Again, last year he turned two kickoffs for a touchdown, one versus Wyoming, which was a jump start for them because they could not get going offensively. The other against New Mexico, uh, where they practically did anything and everything they wanted to do against New Mexico. Uh, Saban Scarver is uh, on a list, and it, it's a supple, I guess that's, what was the word, Eric? A plentiful list of awards it's a long watch list. list. Yeah, it is a very long list. Him and David Woodward are being recognized by about anybody and everybody who has a pen and a magazine that uh, is a part of college football parades. Uh, Savon Scarver uh, is, is um, the thing that stands out about to me is his burst and then his acceleration to get to from 0 to 60 in just like that. I mean, he sees one bit of daylight. He's gone. And I'm not even kidding. Like, and, and the crazy thing is, well, yeah, you see a hole and you go. It's about seeing the hole and then seeing what's next after that. Savon almost, I mean, he talked about his very first thing is ball security. But it's almost as soon as he gets the ball, he knows exactly where he wants to go. And if he sees that hole, he knows what's coming after. He has a good, incredible deep vision 
where I can say, all right, I can see this person coming here. This gap's closing, so I'm going to take off down the far sideline, or I'm going to come down the near sideline, and that's where I'm going to get my speed the most. And if you if he gets to full speed, full max speed, you aren't catching him. He's that good. Right. Well, he's he was quick to give credit to his lead blockers and those that are in front of him to help create the gaps because, first and foremost, he wants to make sure he's not dropping the ball. Uh, that, that's the worst thing. When someone punts the ball away and your guy back there to receive it just messes it up it. and they just got a 50-yard or whatever switch of, of, uh, of field position. But uh, after that, if he gets it, He's making quick decisions. He's not dancing around, taking his time, trying to decide where where to go. No. And then he's he's following the guys that are ahead of him. He he believes in them and he trusts in them. And man, it worked out really well for several different occasions last year. And could be a fun thing to watch again this season for Utah State. For Savon Scarver last year in his guards of kickoff returns, twenty two returns, seven hundred and forty two yards, an average Eric of thirty three point seven yards per return with two touchdowns. Uh, his longest, of course, was a 100. Uh, that was versus New Mexico. And, again, he had the 99-yard return versus Wyoming, which they desperately, er, er, right. desperately that needed that That offense was just one. stagnant. Nothing was really working that great. Uh, and then he came along and, and sparked everything for Utah State and turned out to be the difference in that game. The junior wide receiver, a 5'11", a 180-pounder, currently being recognized in the following for the preseason. Field Steel Magazine first-team All-American as a kick returner. Athlon Sports second-team All-American. Sporting News second-team All-American. Athlon Sports first-team All-Mountain West. Field Steel Magazine first-team All-Mountain West. And currently, as we've already mentioned, or Eric mentioned, at the beginning of the 4 o'clock hour, he's been named to the preseason All-American team from CBS Sports. In fact, by the way, those 742 yards that we were talking about from last year uh, are at most by an Aggie all-time in school history. And he led the nation in kickoff returns, again, at an average of 33.7 yards, and tied for second in the nation with his two kickoff returns for touchdowns. One again, 199, and one for 100. What a special, special athlete. Hey, let me ask you this. Has he surpassed Kevin Robinson? The great Kevin Robinson from 04, has he surpassed him? Ooh, that's a good question. Kevin also did kickoff returns, yes, right? Yes, uh-huh, and punt returns. And, and punt returns. He was good. I, I got to see him first person um, live. Oh, boy. That's a good question. I don't know that Savon's there yet, but he's right on his heels. I would say he's, well. I, I think he's. Based on the, okay, yeah, that's, a, you know, when I think really about close. it, yeah, he's, he's pretty darn close. Because uh, K-Rob K- was, a, was a really special player. Is he still in the league, by the way? I don't think so. Is he out of the league? That's too bad. All right. Yeah, I don't think he's still in the league. He wasn't there very long. So that's our recap of the specialists for the Utah State Aggie team. Next week, we'll get into coaches. There's a new coaching staff in town. We'll break it down on who's coaching what, what it means for the coach, or what it means for Utah State football, the changes. Uh, it's it's a whole new different ballgame here on, on regards of uh, the guys who wear the hats on the sideline, and we'll get into that next week. Um, man, it's going to be exciting. I can't wait, man. This August 30th could not come soon enough. I know I was a little bit skeptical, at, I mean, in spring. I mean, we were talking about spring ball, and I was a little bit skeptical and looking at the roster and looking what they had and you know, that little spring scrimmage. And, and now as we get closer and you see some of the things done and some of the improvements made, uh, both from players individually and coaches and this team in, uh, in the team aspect of it, this team looks like they could do some damage 
not only in the preseason, but especially in the Mountain West. And with the schedule they got, uh, that would say a whole lot about this team, for me, personally. Right. The, the questions still remain about how solid is that offensive line. Sure. What kind of time will they get Jordan Love? Will they give him protection? Can they have a push for the run game? Uh, and I think a lot of the, the other questions that I had about this team have been getting answered. Yeah, uh, and so that's a great point. Eric. I, I think that the offensive line still lingers as, and, and for that, I don't think we're going to know until we see how they look when they're lined up against another team. Sure, sure. All right, coming up next here on the Full Court Press, Team USA FIBA World Cup. Speaking of questions, they have a lot of them. And according to two practices and one scrimmage that just occurred last night, those questions have turned into concerns. Are they major? And can they fix it? That's all coming up on the Full Court Press. Eric France and Audrey Salveson, 1069 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. It doesn't matter who you root for. The Full Court Press has all the high school sports covered. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Eric France and Ajay Salson here on the Full Court Press. Wednesday, August 14th, 5.33 your time. You're almost there. You're almost there to the weekend. Hang with us. Thanks for joining us, however, wherever you are. Greatly appreciate it. Remember, you can also find us on 1069thefan.com. We're streaming. You can find our shows there, as well as podcast platforms such as iTunes, such as Spotify, and Stitcher. Just type in the search name, Full Court Press. Don't put the. You'll get arrested. <laughs> or you can turn in our name, oh, Ohio Eric State will come after you. They will come after you, and they got lots of money to do. Yeah, I think USU should trademark State. Really? So, yeah, so nobody else can use State. Date in their hats and hoodies and t-shirts. <laughs> you can make a lot of money that way. Sure, you can use it. You just got to pay us a royalty first. Oh, man. Do it, USU. Do it. Everyone's doing it. <laughs> I mean, do it. It's just that argument is just as ridiculous as what Ohio State's trying to do. I'm with you. And I would agree. I would definitely agree. All right, uh, Team USA f- uh, is getting ready for or the men's basketball team is getting ready for the FIBA World Cup. In fact, they've got a game against Spain in just two days. It's an exhibition. It's an exhibition, but it's still a game against Spain, and Spain's a loaded basketball team this year, I, once again, as they usually are. Uh, by the way, former Jazzman Ricky Rubio will be a part of that squad. Uh, there, a lot of notable names have dropped out of the FIBA roster, including Anthony Davis, James Harden, LeBron James, and many others, including C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard. The problem here is that they don't have the many names, but then they said, well, you know what? They're still talented. They're more talented than anybody else on any roster, period. Doesn't matter what country you're looking at. Then came a scrimmage from a very... I, I guess not very, but an extremely less talented basketball squad featuring names such as Justin Anderson, Chris Yoza, Scotty Hobson, Daquan Jeffries, John Jenkins, Ben Moore, Travis Trice, and Travis Ware. You never heard of those names? Well, guess what? That's because they're all G League. They were head coached by Jeff Van Gundy, and they were in a scrimmage just last night. Final score, Scrubs 36, Team USA 17. According to some media members, such as Mark Stein and uh, Mike Trudell of uh, the LA Times, both went into that, where uh, the, the media was invited towards the end of the scrimmage, saw what happened, and saw the final score. 
Does this bring you, Eric, any great concern about this basketball team that they got beaten by a bunch of G League-level basketball players before they get ready for the FIBA World Cup or before their exhibition versus Spain on Friday night? Um, I think it is a nervous mode, maybe. Maybe not too nervous, though. I don't think this is freak-out mode, but I think it is something for Team USA to be concerned about. Uh, the word is that this select team uh, shot lights out today. It was only a 10-minute, so that's not a true representation of how the, a game can ebb and flow uh, over the course of a full game. But it does make you a little concerned. Uh, this isn't the first time we've heard of something like this for Team USA, struggling in these scrimmages. Uh, they're not full, top-to-bottom, uh, play-the-whole-game uh, scrimmage that they, they've, they've done with these select teams. But it does make you a little bit nervous that these guys can't get it all put together and figured out. Sometimes in these, though, we talked about this the other day, too. When, when watching preseason NFL football, uh, it's hard to really know is th- does one guy really look that good or does he really look that bad? Because what we don't know as fans is that the coaching staff may be asking that person to do something they don't normally do or they've been working on something new and they just haven't quite got it down yet. But from everybody looking at it, they think, oh man, he looks awful. But when they continue to work on it in practice, and then maybe they don't even use that in a real game, then it, it settles back to you know how they really are. So I'm not. We don't know if Greg Popovich was pulling some mental game and playing a different lineup or trying to get him to do something different. Uh, that's what we could maybe hope for. Because if not, then maybe we should be getting a little more freak-out mode about how well this team's going to compete on the international stage. Where is the whole... Okay, so when I look at this, two things come to mind. One, do you remember in 1992, and everyone's heard the story before, about the scrimmage versus this college bunch of college kids featuring Chris Webber, uh, Bobby Hurley, uh, and no media and no public was allowed to be a part of the scrimmage. They were not allowed to see it at all. The college kids throttled this Team USA 92 Dream Team the first time. Now, I say the first time, and I emphasize that for later reason. The media then came in after and realized they didn't, the scoreboard was erased. It was, in fact, it was turned off. And people came in, the media did, and they were asking questions, and they just said, a lot of them did, that there was a weird vibe about the Team USA that day, that something didn't sit right. They didn't see this scrimmage. They don't know what happened at the time. Then later on, about a couple weeks later, they re-scrimmaged again, and the Team USA won by like 45 points. Coach K, to this very day, says, and he was a part of the scrimmage, that Chuck Daly threw it to humble them, to remind them that, look, anybody can beat you. And when I say he threw the scrimmage, there was reports such as Michael Jordan played the first three plays and then didn't play the rest of the day. Karl Malone, Charles Barkley, also did not play a majority of that scrimmage. John Stockton did. Larry Bird was out for most of it, as was Magic Johnson. So they played a very limited roster of guys against these college kids the first time and lost. Brought them out, brought all his stars and guns out for the second time, and they won by 45. And again, it was just a lesson. Now, Coach Popovich, and I seem, and I'm maybe I'm one of the minority in the few, 
But he'd be a guy to do that, to say, you know what? We're going to teach you guys a lesson. Oh, you're Donovan Mitchell? Oh, you're Kemba Walker? You're Marcus Smart? No one cares. You still can lose. I wonder if he threw that scrimmage. But at the same time, on the other side of it, as a doubles advocate, I would say that they don't have the talent to do that. They don't have Michael Jordan, Carmelo, John Stockton, or anything like that. They don't have Damian Lillard, James Harden, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry. That this team is what it is. That you can't say, oh, if we bench Donovan Mitchell, it's going to be a huge drop-off. It's not. Jason Tatum is just as good as Donovan Mitchell is. Kemba Walker is better than Donovan Mitchell. So, no, you're not throwing anything. There's no way to throw it. Mason Plumlee is probably barely, and I mean barely as good as some of these G League guys. I'm being dead serious. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at that roster right now, too, the select team. And, yeah, the, the, there's nobody there that is a household name. Nobody knows who these guys are. Half of, no, not half the team, but about a third of the team, they're... Uh, International players or G League guys, and they're they're deep on rosters that nobody knows. And the but other- I think that this is it could be a situation here where, um, they, they, I guess they beat them twice today. They played they scrimmaged with them twice and beat them both times. The other part that stands out to me is this: when you look at the starting lineup, in fact, the closing five, and this is. Re- Reported by the Lakers reporter Mike Trudell of the LA Times. says the closing lineup was as is here. Kemba Walker, Donovan Mitchell, Harrison Barnes, P.J. Tucker, Brooke Lopez. And there was reports that in that closing part of the scrimmage where the media was allowed to see it, the G League overseas players handedly, handedly dominated this top five squad. That gives me reason to worry. Right there. Like, why can't you come in and just take over a game? I And I think that's where a lot of grave concern and legit concern comes from everybody who's supporting Team USA is, well, can Harrison Barnes, you know, actually be legit contributing to this Team USA squad? And I would honestly have to say, looking at Walker, Mitchell, Barnes, Tucker, and Lopez on the same floor, no, that they will lose to Spain on Friday night. Spain's loaded. Spain's a good team. And the biggest thing that they have is the size. They have size, and that's not what Team USA has here. And they have athletic size, too. Late Mason Plumley is not athletic. Brooke Lopez, I sort of. But Spain can handle Brooke Lopez. I, I They can guard him on the perimeter. That's not a problem. Kemba Walker and Donovan Mitchell is more of a concern for Spain than Brooke Lopez is. I think the greatest challenge for Coach Popovich is... Getting these players together, players who don't play together, uh, and over a short amount of time, getting to be comfortable with how each other work on the floor. Uh, some of these guys are probably running plays that are very foreign to how they do things in their camps. And so I think it, there's a there's a big learning curve that comes at them pretty fast. And... Uh, uh, we don't know if they were trying to do some different things that uh, they were just working on making sure guys with their proper sets and uh, making the right motions to be here where you're on this point of the floor when you're running this play. Um, and, and so the, the, the point total didn't matter to Pop. But 
at the end of the day, though, still you got to be nervous. Like, look, I don't, I don't care if we're working on new stuff or not. You guys still got to be able to figure these things That's out. That's exactly right. And, and compete way, and you're win. You're two days before playing Spain. Now, I will tell you right now, if they beat Spain by more than 20, I'm going to be absolutely shocked. Absolutely stunned if they beat Spain by more than 20. These young of guys should not be beating a Spain team as a veteran team on it by 20. If they do, that is wonderful. And by the way, is that that's in Anaheim, I think. That's still in the I States. think it is, yeah. It is. It is in Anaheim. That's on Friday night. Um and but there's still a grave concern of what this team can actually handle. And a lot of these guys, if I'm not mistaken, haven't seen major team USA minutes either in the Olympics or FIBA World Cup. That's another concern is that when you play in veteran squads such as Spain, such as Canada, such as Australia, you're going to run into that problem where they've been there, done that. And by the way, this world in regards of athletics is no longer scared of Team USA in any sport almost. Nobody is scared of Team USA, especially in men's basketball. It's not 1992 and it's definitely not 96. No, not when it's not even your – it's not your first tier, guys. It's really not even yeah, your second you're tier, guys. At, yeah, you're looking at like – Donovan Mitchell, and you're like, dude, you're a second Mason year going Plumley. on the feed. You're I mean, that's dude. all you got to Mason, yeah. I mean, Mason, Mason Plumley. That, that says everything about what this group is, yeah, and and isn't. Yeah, there's some stars. There's some guys that are up and coming that are are some really good talents. But you're right. The the international field is going to feel like, hey, this is going to be a wide open tournament. And you know what scares me the most is the is of Team Canada is Nick Nurse. That guy can flat out coach, and he proved it yeah, last year. Yeah, he's going to be their head coach, and he's going to give Greg Popovich and his squad headaches when they meet up in that uh, in in the group play. So again, FIBA uh, World Cup is about to get underway. We have an exhibition in Los Angeles of Anaheim, where the uh, Team USA will play Spain in what should be a really really telling game of one who's going to maybe most likely make the squad, and two is going to start. If you see Donovan Mitchell starting on that squad. I would say he's going to make it, and he's probably going to start. Uh, some other guys you might see minutes diminish significantly. At least that's what Coach K did with him, or I guess his squads is like when Gordon Hayward went to went to go be a part of it. Um, he saw his minutes diminish his minutes diminish significantly in so, the first two games. So let me ask you this: if this were if there were 18, 20 guys trying to fight for twelve roster spots instead of only 15 guys fighting for 12 roster spots. Would that make this team better? Or would it be harder for guys to get minutes and and uh, rhythm and feel for the game? Okay, so wait, are, you, are you asking if this squad was of 25 guys instead of 15? Right, so they only have there's 15 guys now fighting for 12 roster spots. Sure. And so my question is, if there were 20, 25 guys fighting for those 12 roster spots, would it make the team better or would it hinder the guys that eventually end up on the team from getting into a good rhythm and connection with each other? I don't think it do either. I think it'd be neutral. Honestly, I, I think if, if, I mean, it would help them in regards to have depth. You could see a lot of guys. You'd have a lot of talent, different talent on the court. Um, And, I mean, I don't think it would really hurt him per se I mean I guess some guys do need to get minutes to get into a flow I I, I could absolutely understand that um in fact I remember Michael Red saying the same thing when he was on the 08 redeem team 
that he, I mean, he didn't get enough consistent minutes to where you could put him on the court as a cold shooter, just start shooting from deep. It was hard. Um, and I think that'd be the same regard here. I, I don't know. Maybe it would help. I think some would help, but I think some would hurt as well. So I don't know. I think it would stay neutral. I don't know if it would really do any damage significantly. Because I think if you've got a lot of guys that are fighting for those 12 spots, they're going to come hard every time. I mean, they're going to they're going to really try to make the roster. Sure. And so I'm not saying that those 15 guys may be a little lackadaisical thinking they got it made and they don't have to try as hard. But I just I wonder if there were more people competing for those only few select spots that they would they would come at it harder uh, to, to make sure that's their spot. Yeah. But the flip side of that is by only having a few guys that may or may not make it, by and large, the group that you have is a group that you're going to have. Minus one or two guys. Well, I guess three. And so the it the, the it becomes a team that works together, spends a lot of time together, understands their own little nuances on the court. So I don't know. I, I think I'd probably, if I were in a situation, I would probably rather only have 15, 16 guys fighting for 12 roster spots rather than having 20 to 25 guys fighting for those same spots. That's fair enough. I mean, that, that that makes sense. Where they're at now with 15 guys, though, and I think, I honestly believe... Because then you better understand your role and how you've helped the team. Yeah. Because it's, it's more defined over time. You have more time and more minutes on the court with those same guys and with the coaches watching you every day. Uh, I think you just you have more time to develop that. And I honestly believe that Greg Popovich has a pretty darn good near idea of what his squad's going to look like, that who he's going to cut. I think he has a pretty, by now I think he has an idea of we're going to cut him, him, and him, but we want to give them one final look, make sure we, you know, that we're solid on that. So I think that's what they're going to do. All right, we got to take a break. Coming back, we'll wrap it up the second hour and the rest of the show here on a Wednesday evening, talking a little bit of fantasy football and getting you ready for a Thursday. What's coming up on Thursday, including our pick six. I want a six-week losing streak. Can I fix that? Probably not. There. Said it. Eric, Oh, you still owe me. You didn't bring anything in, did you? The two for gifts. losing? So the two gifts last week, one of them was for this week. <laughs> it's Eric France and Andre Salveson on the Full Court Press, 106 on FM, 1390 AM. The fan. Utah and Southern Idaho's home for sports. It's the Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 106.9 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. Eric France and Andre Salves here on the Full Court Press, currently 5.53. Your time as we wrap up a Wednesday evening for you. Thank you so much for joining us for the two hours. We gratefully appreciate it. We got more and great content for you as we get you ready for Utah State Aggie football season coming up Friday, August 30th. Region 11 high school football starts up this Friday night. We've got D. Jones joining us tomorrow to talk about the Rocky Mountain Rumble. We're going to get you coaches uh, or, I guess, play-by-play announcers. Uh, We're going to join you on Friday. I'll be in Salem Hills getting ready for MC Salem Hills game. But you'll have guys coming in to join you and, and talk high school football to give you the best coverage of regional and football that anybody else can give you. So, Do you know um, ESPN has something that they put together that gives you an average draft position of every player in the NFL? And so if you haven't done your fantasy football draft yet, uh, maybe helpful to see what the averages are for a lot of these other players around for a lot of people that are doing these, 
doing fantasy football. So you can look it up and uh, ADP, average draft position. So I want to know your strategy. I mean, when we go into draft mode, August 25th, 6 o'clock, you guys can catch it on Twitch. Uh, what? <laughs> We're not. I- <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be twitching, all right. <laughs> What uh, what's your strategy? I mean, you're gonna uh, you're gonna go for. Uh, well, the, I don't uh, know that it's great or that I should brag about or talk about because I don't know that I've really won a lot. I've always done better in basketball than I've done in football because I feel like I I always can get the guys off the waiver wire that suit me best. <laughs> I mean, I try to draft well, but uh, in basketball, I don't get too concerned if I don't get who I want. So I figure I pay closer attention. And I can still get guys to fill in the gaps. For football, I I set my pre-rankings. I don't do a live draft. I go in and set the rankings ahead of time of the people I would prefer to have. And then I just I let it fill in the gaps. Maybe that's why I don't win so much. You know what's interesting? I, I When I listen to other guys talk about fantasy football, these quote-unquote experts, they say don't ever draft a quarterback first. Take care of the rest of the squad, then go after your quarterback. Yeah, it's interesting because this ESPN average draft position, they do a lot of fantasy leagues. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Let's see, how far is the first quarterback? Patrick Mahomes is the first quarterback, and he's number 16. Wow. So the first six are running backs. Got a wide receiver, then some running backs, wide receivers. Yeah, quarterbacks are a little bit lower on the list. I think when you look at pre-draft rankings, quarterbacks are usually so high because they account for a lot of points. But you can go find uh, other quarterbacks. Or a good running back is hard to find. A a good producing running back is hard to find. So uh, put them high on your list would be my recommendation. I would go with the kickers. Get, get yourself a good kicker. Yeah, okay. You go with that strategy. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to draft it. If you draft Tom Brady, by the way, I'm going to lose my freaking mind. Anybody who is in our league listening to me, you draft Tom Brady, you, you're you done. He's a successful quarterback. Why wouldn't I want to put him high on my list? Because he's not that. He's a horrible quarterback. <laughs> All right, coming back tomorrow, we'll have D. Jones. I'll remember again. that you said that. <laughs> we'll have D. Jones join us. It's on the Full Court Press. Thanks, for everybody, for joining us. Have a great night.